Welcome to Anil Arana Live. Recorded live during his missions around the world, these podcasts feature audio sermons and reflections from internationally renowned preacher and retreat leader Anil Arana. For more audio podcasts, video sermons, and articles, please visit www.hsiweb.org or www.anilarana.com. Today's talk is for a friend of mine, a very young friend of mine who I hope is watching. She has been struggling over the past several days with a sense of unworthiness. She has been struggling for several days with a sense of spiritual insignificance. She has been troubling, or she's been struggling over the last few days with a sense of hopelessness within her, and this talk is for her. But this talk is not only for her because it is not only she who struggles with these things. It is almost every single person who is present over here. And is that not true? That very often we all find ourselves unworthy. We all find ourselves spiritually stagnant. We all find ourselves morally bankrupt. So the words that God is going to speak to you here tonight are something that I believe will bring all of you the peace that you need, the hope that you need, and the restoration that you need. But of course, we're going to get all of this from where? We're going to get it from the Word of God, and I hope all of you have your Bibles. Can we raise them in the air? And let us all say together, I am a person of the Word, which means I am a person of power. Everybody's awake now? Good. Keep your Bibles down, but don't close them because I want you to open them to the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> to chapter 5, where we're going to look today at the constitution of Christians. You know, every government has a constitution. Did you know that? It's a set of fundamental principles that govern that nation and govern an organization. And over here, if you wanted to know the constitution of Christians, what governs Christians, you will find it in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Fortunately, for those who are looking worried, we're not going to read all three chapters. We're going to read just a little bit of it, okay? But before we get to that, I want to give you a little background. Are you ready? Jesus has just started his ministry. He has been baptized in the river Jordan. He's been sent to the desert by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. He has returned from the desert having triumphed in every possible way. And he has started his ministry by declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he has selected a bunch of apostles, men who are going to follow him, learn from him, and then take his message outside. 
And while he is doing all of this, there is something wonderful that happens. So can I ask you to open to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Can I read that again? Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I'm going to fast forward to chapter 9, verse 35, where you will find Matthew is saying exactly the same words one more time. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Three things are happening here. One, Jesus preaches. Two, Jesus teaches. And three, Jesus Every single time when Jesus goes out, he does these three things. You cannot have one without the other. Now, there are a lot of people these days who say that Jesus is a wise man whose preaching is simply extraordinary while trying to downplay or say that the miracles that he did never happened because if they acknowledge the miracles happened, they would have to believe that he is God. In those days, however, people only wanted the miracles. They didn't want the word. And they would flock to him for the healing. They would flock to him for the deliverance. They would flock to him even for the food. But when Jesus said, hey, no adultery. When Jesus said, hey, no lust. When Jesus said, no stealing or cheating or fighting with your neighbor. They didn't like what he said. Unfortunately, once again, you cannot have one without the other. Now what I just did with the Bible, since we're also doing a Bible study, we're still in the series on the Word of God, is introduce you to a concept of bookmarks. Bookends. Say bookends. Have you ever seen a bookshelf where you have one bookend over here and one bookend over there and books in the middle of it? So everybody knows what I'm talking about? So what you just saw over here was one bookend over here and one bookend over there. And in the middle were all the things that Jesus taught and all the things that Jesus did, which included a lot of miracles. That was one bookend. Now I'm going to introduce you to another bookend. Everybody alert? <clears throat> Listen to this now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 onwards. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. When Jesus saw the crowds, what did he do? He went on a mountainside and sat down. Maybe he was trying to avoid the crowds. Don't you think? His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. Who did he begin to teach? And so he begins to teach his disciples. And they are listening attentively as you are listening attentively. Yes? Now I want to take you to the next bookend. Which is... Um, Chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. 
It doesn't say the disciples were amazed. It says the crowds were amazed. Because while he was teaching his disciples, you know what happened? The crowds started coming to listen to the word of God. And they were totally amazed by what they heard Jesus saying. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to read what is known as the Beatitudes. And that is going to be our subject of study, not just today, but for the next seven weeks. Unfortunately, I am not going to be here for quite a few weeks. Okay, this is my last talk for a few weeks because I'm heading off to Australia. Uh, but I hope that you will continue to come. And I don't know if the preachers in my absence will continue with the Beatitudes or not. But if they don't, when I am back, I will continue with them because like I said, these are the most important things that we could learn about our faith. Amen? Okay. Now, how many of you wish that you were in Galilee listening to Jesus? Yeah. You know, I always wish that I was there and I could be with this wonderful man and listen to the words that he said. Now, I have no idea what Jesus really looked like, but if it works for you, you could pretend I'm him for a minute. Does it work for you? Okay. And if Jesus was here, this is what he would say. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for there will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We sang a song when we started, you know, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Do you remember that? And then you sang, I want to see Jesus. If you really want to see Jesus, here is the answer to that. You just make sure that you're pure in heart and you will see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now one more time, I want to introduce you to two bookends. The first verse that Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he ends with these words, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What happens in bookmarks? Bookends, sorry. It speaks about certain things that are going to be enclosed between the bookends. And what he's saying over here are all these things that he's talking about between one and between eight are all things that belong to the kingdom of heaven and all these things are yours. I've been talking about these things for the last year, but I see a lot of new people over here. So what I would like to do very briefly, very quickly, is to go through these things one more time. I'm redeemed. 
I am saved. I am restored. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am washed. I am pure. I am holy. I am blessed. I am healed in soul, in spirit, in heart, in mind, in body. I am strong. I am free. I am totally victorious. I am a child of God. I am a friend of Jesus. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every one of these things have already been given to us, although we will get the fullness of these things once we go to heaven, okay? But what I want us to learn to do, especially over the next few weeks, counting down to Christmas, is to be these people that Jesus wants us to be, which is blessed. Say blessed. blessed. A lot of people think blessed means happy. It doesn't mean happy, not the way we understand it. To be blessed means that we have the favor of God resting over us. Why? Because he is happy with what we do. And when he sees that, when he feels that, there is a reward. In the first case, and that is the only one we're going to do here today, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Say that together with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is to be poor? Give me any answer. What is to be poor when it comes to money? Not to have it, right? God is not talking about poverty of finance. He's talking about poverty of spirit. And it's such a good thing. And I'm going to explain to you why. A few years ago, I was watching this group discussion where the preacher was talking about the Beatitudes. And towards the end of the class, one of the people listening to him said, Christianity is a crutch. And I waited to see what this uh, preacher would say. And very quietly and very simply, he said, yes. And a lot of people, including those who are listening to me now, think that that is a bad thing. And I want to ask you first, why? If you saw a man walking with a crutch... Would you say that that is a bad thing to have? You wouldn't, would you? Because that crutch is helping that man who might not be able to walk properly to walk. So why, when it comes to Christianity, is a crutch a bad thing? I'll tell you why. Because the crutch is fine when somebody else is using it, but when it comes to us, we don't want to have a crutch because when we have a crutch, it means that we are a cripple and we don't like to be called cripples. Fact. There is not one of us sitting over here who would like to be said, hey, you're a cripple. 
Why? Because we would like to be strong. We would like to be self-sufficient. We would like to be people who walk without any aid. True, false. Now the problem with that is if you aren't a cripple, you're not going to make much progress in the kingdom of heaven. You know why? Because Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but only the sick. And he said, I've not come to save the righteous. I've come to save sinners. And if you are consequently righteous, if you are consequently in perfect health, if you are consequently someone who is totally self-sufficient, there is no need for Jesus and Jesus cannot do anything with you. So you know what? For all those who feel unworthy, for all those who feel spiritually insignificant, for all those who feel helpless, for all those who feel useless, there's good news for you here tonight. And the good news is this. Jesus is saying, for you belongs the kingdom of heaven. Give the Lord a round of applause. So to my young friend who might be listening, and I hope she is listening to me tonight, you're in a good place, feeling as you're feeling. And you're in the same place that a lot of my brothers and sisters over here are feeling. Worthless, helpless, insignificant. It's a good thing to be because that is the only way you're going to make it up to heaven. You all want to go to heaven, right? Okay, now I need to, of course, give you a scriptural validation for everything I said. And I'm going to talk about a lot of people. Beginning with a guy called Abraham. You know Abraham? One day he was making a prayer to God about Sodom and Gomorrah and he was saying, please don't destroy that. And when he was making this prayer, he says, but me, I am just like dust and ashes. Then there's a guy called Jacob. You know Jacob too? We spoke about how he wrestled with God. And when he was doing this wrestling, he said to God, I am totally unworthy. Then you have a man called Moses. All of you know Moses, right? This great superhero. Everyone knows Moses. The two people in the Bible, I guarantee you, everybody knows. Okay, not because they've read scripture, because they've watched the Ten Commandments. Okay, they know Moses. Moses also confessed to God one day that he couldn't talk. He said, I'm not a man of eloquence. Now, I want to take you to that because there are some interesting lessons that we can learn from that. Okay, Exodus chapter 3. You don't need to open your Bibles. I'm just going to go as fast as I can today because I want to do as much as I can. Okay, all of you know the story of Pharaoh and Moses? I'm not going to take anything for chance. Okay. <laughs> One day, God called Moses, appeared to him in this great burning bush, and says, Moses, I, let, I need you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. What does Moses do? Say, yes, Lord. No. He starts making excuses. He makes one excuse. God answers that. Then he makes another excuse. God answers that. Then he makes a third excuse. God answers that. And then he makes a fourth excuse. And that is the one I'm going to read to you now. Moses said to the Lord, for those who take notes, this is verse 10 and 11. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. How many of you feel like that? That you're not very eloquent? That you don't have the gift of, gob, of the gab like preacher Anil? That you can't go on talking and talking for hours? How many of you feel like that? 
How many of you sometimes feel you stutter when you talk? How many of you feel you're slow, that you need to process things in your brain before you talk? You're just like Moses. Now I want you to listen to what God says to Moses. God doesn't tell Moses you need to have a sense of self-esteem. God doesn't tell Moses you need to be confident and believe that you will be able to speak. God says, it's a good thing you can't speak. But what you need to remember is that I will speak for you. Are you listening to me? All those of you who constantly think that God is going to tell you, hey, buck up and get your act together. God is not telling you that. God is saying, remain weak. But trust in me and I will be your strength. This is what he says to Moses. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and teach you what to say. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I'm not the only one who does drama. Sometimes God does his drama too, no? You wonder why? <laughs> it's to tell us something that is very related to the subject today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because sometimes when we think we're very strong, we think we can do anything we want and we think we can do everything that we want. But it is when we realize how weak we are and how much we depend on God, that is when his strength comes through. And that is what Paul also says. You know, when I am weak, then I am strong. Say it, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now this might seem contradictory, but what happens when you're weak? When you're weak, you start to depend on someone. And who are you going to depend on? You're going to depend on God. And now is God weak? God is strong. So when you depend on someone who's strong, his strength becomes your strength. And then you who are weak, no longer are weak, but are strong. Okay? And these are the kind of things that God wants to tell you here today because very often we kind of feel that our spiritual life is not going anywhere. Very often we feel that we're unworthy. Very often when we sin, we think, hey, you know, there is no hope for me. But once again, we can learn from characters in the Bible. All of you know a guy called David? All of you know what David did? David felt very sorry for what he did. So in Psalm 51, he declares, God really appreciates a contrite heart and a contrite spirit. You know that? Now you will understand very well that after committing adultery and after committing murder, he better have a contrite heart and a contrite spirit. But then if you look at the life of David, even when he was doing good things for God, he showed that his heart and his spirit was always submissive to God. One day he was making a temple, okay, he decided that everybody's going to contribute and build this grand temple. And of course, David being the king contributed a lot. But you know what he said? He said, Lord, who am I to think that I am doing anything for you? It's all what you have given me. You know, it's like a little child that sometimes takes money from the father to buy the father a birthday gift. Does that happen to you? 
Whose money is it? The father. So when the child takes the money from the father to buy you a gift, it is a very sweet gesture without doubt. But the fact remains, the money belongs to the father. And David recognizes that everything that has been given to him belongs to God. So what big thing is he doing to give God back? And this is what we sometimes fail to realize, that everything we have, including those pretty faces, they're given to you by God, okay? So instead of kind of, you know, um, peeking up when you look in the mirror and, and, and saying, ooh, what a beautiful creature you are. How many of you do that? Don't answer, right? Acknowledge that it is God who has given you everything. Take a man called Isaiah, the greatest prophet who ever lived. You know how he approached God? He said, God, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. And then what did God do? God made him the greatest prophet who ever lived. Let's talk about some new covenant people. You know John the Baptist? In the chapter before this, he said, you know, you guys think I'm very great, but there's one coming after me and I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. And then he said, I must decrease so that he should increase. And maybe that is the reason why Jesus said of John the Baptist, of all the people born of woman, there was none as great as John. Why? Because he was humble. In a story that we've looked at time and time again, right? The centurion man, remember him? He goes to Jesus because his servant is at home paralyzed. What does he tell Jesus? Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And what happens? Jesus praises him saying, I've not seen faith like this with anyone in Israel. And he said, at this moment, your servant is healed. And at that moment, the servant was healed. Everybody listening to me? There's another story. Now, a lot of you find it hard to wrap your heads around this story because it's about this Canaanite woman who goes to Jesus for healing. And Jesus says, no, 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 sorry, I can't heal you because healing is only for the Jews. And you know what this woman says? Even the dogs eat the scraps that fall down from the table. I am willing to eat whatever scraps fall down to me. And Jesus once again marvels at her faith, which was born of humility, that I will take whatever you give me, even crumbs. And when she said she was willing to have the crumbs, what did God do? He blessed her with more than what she bargained for. Are you all listening to me? Then Jesus tells us a parable, and this is really a wonderful parable, which really illustrates the point I'm trying to make today. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to read to you once again, because we're short on time. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. And I want to pause here to tell you, is this man you? 
You don't need to answer, but you just need to examine yourself for just a moment and say, is this man you totally self-righteous, totally self-sufficient, who has his house entirely in order? Because if this man is you, then God has a lesson for you to learn over here. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. We like to be holy. It's not a bad thing. We like to be righteous. That is not a bad thing either. But very often what happens is that we look at a righteousness and we think that we earned it. We look at Jesus and we kind of say, yes, thank you for whatever you did, but I'm the one who's actually working my way into heaven. The Pharisees did that. The Pharisees were not bad people. And I might have said this before, but it is worth saying again because a lot of people still don't get it. The Pharisees were not bad people. They were very good people. In the sense, they actually tried to do everything that God asked them to do. God said, do not murder. They never murdered anybody. They never killed anybody. God said, do not commit adultery. They never slept with anyone else's wife. God said, don't do this. They didn't do it. And in fact, they were so particular about what God told them to do. They created another 600 odd laws for themselves and they followed it. And because they followed all these laws, they thought, hey man, I'm cool. I got it all done. Jesus had to strip them of their self-righteousness. And it's not easy to strip people who are self-confident. It's not easy to strip people who think they are self-made. Ask Brother Arun over there, for instance, who just kind of discovered God. For the longest time, he was a successful businessman. And I'm pretty sure every time when he woke up in the morning, he said, look at what I'm doing. Isn't that true, brother? I know what he thinks because that's the way I used to be as well. I don't need a God. I don't need a God because I have my intelligence, I have my hard work, I have everything that makes me do what I need to do. God can't do anything with people like that. So God has to break them, God has to chip them away. God has to make an entry point. And the only entry point that God can sometimes do is bring us to our knees. 
And that can take a long time. He tried to do it with the Pharisees. He tried to talk to them first. He said, you think, you think that committing adultery is not sleeping with somebody's wife, but I tell you, if you so much as look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you're committing adultery. He says, don't parade your holiness in front of me because I know you, I see you, I see what you do in the dark. And then he says, you think because you haven't killed anyone, you haven't committed murder, but every time you let a harsh word leave your mouth, every time you get angry and shout at somebody, you're committing murder. So he strips them away. And what he wants to do over here tonight is to strip away every single vestige of self-significance that you have in you because as long as you think that you're the one who's doing it all, he cannot do anything and the kingdom of heaven is not yours. It cannot be. Even if you're a good people, even if you're holy people, even if you're doing what God is asking you to do, you cannot enter heaven because you think you're charting the route. It has to be God and for that, you need to have a sense of spiritual bankruptcy. You have to have a sense of moral uncleanness. You have to have a sense of total helplessness that I cannot do anything. And when you come to that point when you say, I cannot do anything, that is when God says, but I can. And because of what he does, he changes you. His power changes you. We have a Bible study class. And I've been trying to talk about the concept of grace for the longest time. But for some reason, a lot of people don't get it. And this young lady that I was talking about, and I've spoken to her for a long, long time. She doesn't get it either. How God could love someone as unworthy as her. Now I'm talking to my young friends here. Although I'm talking to everybody. God loves you because you're you. You cannot stop him loving you. You mess up last night. Even if you don't say sorry to him. He still loves you. You went and boxed somebody on the nose, or maybe you don't do that. You don't look like violent people. Maybe you kind of scratched your husband's face. Or maybe you boxed your husband. I don't know. Yeah? You haven't said sorry either to God or your husband. You know what? God still loves you. Wrap your head around that. Please wrap your head around that. Here tonight. Because as long as you don't understand that, none of this will make any sense whatsoever to any of you. And I know it's something you've been told. I know it's something I've told you so many times. But for some reason we don't get it. The moment we fail, we think, oh, we've blown it and God doesn't love us anymore. God loves you. Say, God loves me. God loves me. Even though I am a totally miserable specimen of the human race. Even though I am utterly unworthy. 
totally obnoxious, have bad breath and bad B.O., God still loves me. Strange, no? I find it very strange. Continue, haven't finished. Say, I am a worm. A little insect. A disgusting insect. That I feel like squashing. But God still loves me. You know that guy Jacob I was telling you about? You know God actually calls him a worm? I don't know if you realize that, but I found it fascinating when I read it. Isaiah 41, 14. Now I want you to read this, one of you to read this for me. Whoever gets to it first. Isaiah 41, 14. All right, let me get the mic to you. Let me get the mic to you, hang on. <clears throat> Sorry, McNeil, next time. Loudly at everybody. Do not fear, you worm Jacob. You worm Jacob. You insect Israel. You insect. I will help you, says the Lord. Stop, stop. You're a worm. And you're an insect. My Filipino friends, I shouldn't make fun of them. I got plenty of Indians over here. You cockroach. Why does God do this? He wants to see how many of you are going to get offended. Because if you think you're better than a worm, you're actually not. Are you really in the front of eyes of a holy God? Are you anything but a worm? But you know what God says? It doesn't matter to me. Because I am going to make everything right. I'm going to take you from that worm and I'm going to make you a butterfly. And that is the beauty of our faith. That if you let God do what God has to do, he will change you. And very soon you will find from that little caterpillar that you are, you're going to turn into this beautiful creature, a butterfly. And that is also what God is saying to you. But in order to be a butterfly, you first need to admit and acknowledge that you are a worm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Every single person is spiritually unworthy of God. Every single person. They are not blessed. The ones who are blessed are those who understand that they are spiritually poor. And if we acknowledge in front of God our spiritual poverty, if we acknowledge in front of God our total helplessness, if we acknowledge in front of God our moral bankruptcy, then God is going to restore everything that he had given to the first man and woman. He's going to give it back to you, multiplied a hundredfold, multiplied a thousandfold. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Heaven. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this coverage. We hope it has blessed you. For more great content, visit our website www.hsiweb.org and kindly consider supporting the work we do. God bless you.